Welcome to another Procast interview. This is your host, Josh McAdams, bringing you a conversation recorded on January 23, 2006 with Tom Lemoncelli. Tom is the author of The Practice of System and Network Administration, published by Addison Wesley. More recently, he authored Time Management for System Administrators, published by O'Reilly. In the interview, we discuss his latest book, and he shares a few pointers on effective time management. As an added bonus, O'Reilly will be giving away a few promotional copies of Time Management for System Administrators. To be entered in the drawing for a copy, just send an email to pearlcast at gmail.com before February 25th, letting me know that you want to be in the contest. Welcome to another Pearlcast interview. Today I'm speaking with Tom Limoncelli. Tom has over 15 years of system administration experience at many different types of organizations. He has authored the book, The Practice of System and Network Administration, and most recently authored Time Management for System Administrators, published by O'Reilly. Welcome to Pearlcast, Tom. Thank you very much for inviting me, Josh. Well, Tom, you've been a system administrator for 15 years. You have two books under your belt. Any more background that you'd like to give us? Well, let's see. I've worked at a number of large and small companies. The longest was seven years at Bell Labs, where I think I learned the most about system administration. And so I'd said earlier, you've been a system administrator for over 15 years, and we're talking about the book, Time Management for System Administrators. So when in your career did you start to realize the importance of a systematic time management? About a year into my first job out of college, it became apparent that I was a disaster as far as time management. The good news is that I think most system administrators that were around me were also in a similar situation. I started doing some research and the company I worked for offered some training that I took and that was the beginning of me being interested in time management. Well, many system administrators use Perl, as do many programmers, and in the start of the book you say that programmers actually need a separate time management book, but I consider myself a programmer more than an administrator, and I actually got a lot from the book, so why would a programmer need a separate book? Well, thank you. I think that 90% of the book is probably appropriate for programmers. I just felt that as someone who programs a lot but doesn't have programmer or software engineer in my title, I wasn't really the right person to say this is how programmers should manage their time. People that have read the book have told me that 90% of the book is appropriate for programmers and I shouldn't have been so self-conscious. I think that to do it justice for programmers, I I could have maybe added a, a chapter specifically for them with some specific tips and maybe in the future I'll write a extended blog post on everythingsystemin.com that'll be specifically for programmers. And so everythingsystemin.com is a website you maintain I guess? Yeah that's my blog. I also have an O'Reilly blog. I had a question. There are tons and tons of books on time management. One of the most recent ones that I've looked at besides yours was the Getting Things Done book and it's very popular and you actually even mention it in your book. So Getting Things Done is a very generic volume. Is it more appropriate? I mean, I say more appropriate. Is your book more appropriate for system administrators and they should just scrap getting things done or they complement each other? What's your take on that? Oh, I love getting things done. I recommend people read it whether you're a system administrator or not. I think getting things done does a better job than mine on the psychology of procrastination and time management and helps get you motivated. But my book is much more focused on specific techniques for system administrators. You know, system administrators have this uh, real problem with time management. If you're a manager, you can generally get mentoring from your boss on time management because your boss understands what you do. 
But if you're a system administrator, if your boss is technical, they're just as screwed up in their time management as you are. So you can't really get mentoring on time management, maybe on you know how to install Ubuntu, but not on time management. If your manager is non-technical, then they probably don't really understand what you're doing and any kind of mentoring they're going to give you is, is not going to be appropriate. So I thought that it was really a good idea to have a book specifically on system administration time management because our careers are so different. But I, I love what he says in getting things done and you'll find some overlap, but you know, my book is, is shorter and funnier. You actually have your own system in your time management for system administrators. You have your cycle. What is the cycle? The cycle is my system for managing the data involved in time management. It's my system for never losing a, a user's request, managing your day, and planning your future. System administrators always complain that, and, and as I, I go around and teach on time management at conferences and things, the top two complaints are always about interruptions, which prevent them from getting the big projects done, and how impossible it is to prioritize their work. Well, you know, if you have 50 to-do items in your head, you can't possibly prioritize them in your head. I mean, the average person can keep a list of seven things in their head, but you know, 50 things, you know, no one's that smart <laughs> to hold that all in their head. So in the cycle, you really need to dedicate yourself to writing it all down. And there's some tricks that help you do that and help you develop those habits. And then once you start having things written down, you can start to change the way you work because you, you have this written list. You can invest the first five minutes of every day reviewing the list, prioritizing and planning things that seemed impossible before. As a result, you start to see the big picture, you start dealing with the big projects, and you're able to plan your day, and most importantly, feel a better satisfaction at the end of the day. But I used to always feel like at the end of the day, I got, well, I know I got a lot of work done, I know I certainly worked hard, but I don't feel like I accomplished anything, because there was no, no feedback, and the cycle lets you get that feedback. And that is one important thing. One point that you uh, had made in the book was that you shouldn't get to work and immediately check your email. That you should sit there and take a few minutes to plan out your day. And so that kind of tells why is that important. Uh, would you like to elaborate on that, Any? What's a typical day for a system administrator? How does it begin? Often people come in and they check their email and they just start banging out the different tasks that have come in through email and stuff. With the cycle, my first recommendation is don't begin the day by checking your email. It can wait five minutes. And in those five minutes, you invest in some planning. The email's gonna be there when you're done, for sure. I find that no matter how good your email reader is, it's not a good time management tool like a PDA or a PAA can be. And I, I should probably explain those acronyms. Everyone knows what a PDA is. It's a personal digital assistant like a Palm Pilot or Zorus. A PAA is the paper equivalent. It's your personal analog assistant. Both have benefits and you know, pros and cons. The book is technology ag agnostic. You can do the cycle with a PDA or a PAA. And you know, a PAA is your traditional um, day timer or file of facts that you see you know, non-geeks use. <laughs> that was one thing that I found interesting. I mean, you're a system administrator. You're neck deep in technology all the time, and yet you do lean towards the analog system of recording your time management. Why is that? Do you know? It's the first question I always get from people. I am a very geeky person. I'm early adopter on 
most technologies. I was first person in the neighborhood to have a TiVo. And yet, instead of a, a Palm Pilot, I use a, a leather-bound datebook. The reason for that is I started using that before PDAs had been invented. And I think I just got in the habit. But also, I like it because I like paper. Paper doesn't take any time to boot up. Paper doesn't require software upgrades. I can open it up to a random page and start drawing a diagram without having to go into some kind of drawing mode as opposed to writing mode. I can write big fonts, little fonts you know, with my pen. However, the times that I do use a PDA is when I'm working for a company that has a, a network-based calendar system like Oracle Calendar or Exchange, because if it's critical that I'm syncing my calendar with other people, then I need a PDA. And a PAA is good if well, in that situation, you could use a PAA by manually sort of doing a one-a-day one sync-up kind of thing, but you're really doing twice as much work in that situation. So there are many of us that do love our PDAs and use them even for our own personal planning. Is there any software that you recommend over just the basic task list? The Palm Pilot software is great software, but it has a lot of areas of improvement, shall I say. If you purchase Datebook 5, for example, it enhances Palm OS to give you all the different features that you would need to do a much better job of time management. And in fact, everything with the cycle works if you use Datebook 5. That's from uh, Pimlico Software. And there's also some excellent products like Life Balance from Llama Graphics. They have this great whole way of doing to-do list management that is very interesting because each to-do item you can give it a priority and all that kind of thing but more importantly you give it a location so you have your to-do lists that are things i need to do the next time i'm in my boss's office or the things i need to do the next time i'm at a grocery store and you can mark these locations as being work related or social life related so suppose you've decided that you're working too much and need to spend more time with your family or more time with friends or more time fixing that boat that you've purchased or, or whatever, you could tell the software that you want, say, 25% of your time to be spent with your family. And when it prioritizes things, it'll try to achieve that balance. So if, you're, if you've been working too many hours, the things that pop up or bubble up to the top of your to-do list will be things related to being with your family, and that's bringing your life back in balance. That's the name of the software. So that's a great product, and I, I talk about a couple different products like that in the book. Getting back to where we had started on that planning your day at the beginning of the day before you check any email, you claim there that whenever you're prioritizing your activities, you really only need three categories and not you know a top 10 list or anything like that. Could you explain that a little? That comes from the fact that I used to try to really be specific about the priorities of my action items. So I'd, I'd put something in my to-do list and I'd say, well, you know, I'm ranking these from of importance from you know, zero is not important and 100 is the world's going to explode if I don't do it right now. And, and I'd spend so much time calculating, well, this, this is more like a 63 or a 67. Is it 67? Well, you know, and I'd just spend so much time trying to uh, get an exact priority. In some cases, the task would have been done already. You know, I was spending too much time prioritizing. I, I'm not sure where I picked this up, but someone recommended three priorities. A, it's due today. B, it's important. And C, everything else. Generally, if it's a day that I have any A's at all, that's all I'm going to be working on. And the way projects go, I'm generally working on that for the whole day. So that's sort of the exception. Most of the time I'm working on Bs, which are things that are important. And Cs are sort of those 
would be nice kind of things. And the nice thing about breaking it into this a simple ABC priority scheme is, well, first of all, you're spending less time picking your priority. Secondly, when you're planning your day in that five minute planning period, you can look at your tasks and say, you know, I, I want to work eight hours today. I have one hour of meetings, so I'm down to seven hours. And then you can look at your tasks and say, is this more than seven hours worth of work? Because it's written, I can start actually doing this kind of planning. And say, well, that's more like 14 hours worth of work. So those C priorities and B priorities, I'm going to move those to the next day's to-do list. Or maybe, okay, I have time for my A's and my B's and the, the C's get moved. If I'm super duper overloaded, there's a different set of techniques that I talk about using. The most importantly is you can take this to your boss. You can say, well, boss, you're the one that <laughs> has given me all this work. And if you look at my time estimate column, that's 30 days worth of work on my to-do list that needs to be done today. You know, even if I've eliminated the B's and the C's, sometimes you say, just my A's, things that are due today is more than I could get done today. Your boss can look at it and help you prioritize. I've found that managers often feel frustrated because they can't get their staff to work on things in the priority that they wish they were prioritizing things. So rather than getting upset, I find, obviously, if I did this to my boss every day, my boss would think I was a little immature. You some help, yeah. But, you know, when you, when you are having an emergency and you can take this list and say, well, this is everything on my plate. Can you help me? The reaction I've always gotten is very positive. They say, wow, you know, finally, finally I can figure out what the hell you do all day. And I've gotten reactions that are like, they'll see a couple items and say, wait, you get requests to do that? No, you're not supposed to do that. People, people should do that themselves. And they give you permission to say no. Or one time I did this and my boss looked at my list and realized, wow, you actually do spend 20% of your time you know, doing this one thing. I, I had no idea. That is something we could automate and I'm going to allocate time so that you can automate that thing and it'll just disappear from your plate. And there's also been times that I've had bosses that have looked at my to-do list and said, oh, you know, I never had any clue what you do all day and now I have such a better idea. And we had a better working relationship after that. It's interesting what happens when you prioritize things and, and plan your day. Sisserman's always telling me right away is, well, Tom, that just sounds great, but I don't have a list at the beginning of the day that I work through all day. I get people coming to me all throughout the day, and the book does absolutely cover that kind of thing. I just sort of explain it the first way just to get the basic concepts. Actually, two jobs ago, I was in a situation where I knew that every day I had about three hours worth of interruptions every day. So I would put that on my to-do list every day, three hours of interruptions. So when I was planning my day, you know, if I had two hours of meetings, okay, I'm down to six hours. I have three hours of interruptions. Okay, I'm down to three hours. That means I really had three hours left of tasks that I could do. So I could look at my to-do list and pick the most important three hours worth of tasks and set that as a personal goal. And I could now get those three hours worth of tasks done, have the two hours of meetings and the three hours of interrupts. And if I only had two hours of interrupts that day, hey, awesome, I could get some of the priority C tasks done or B tasks done. If I had more interrupts than three hours, okay, that's fine, but at least I was planning and preparing. I have a written list. If a certain project is gonna be late because of this, I can call the person who made the requests and find out, you know, is today a hard deadline or is it a would be nice deadline, that kind of thing. A question that I have off of that is, it seems like this prioritizing your task and getting them set in the morning and then 
using that at the end of the day to see what you've done and accomplished as kind of a reward not only helps you get your priorities straight, but it seems like it would also hone your skills of actually being honest with your time estimations. Have you seen that get better over the years with this system? Oh, absolutely. The the first couple months of trying to estimate how long your tasks are going to take, I guarantee everyone who tries it will be a failure. But that's okay, because you'll get better at estimating things as time goes on. Definitely seems like it makes it harder to lie to yourself and say, yeah, I'll get that done today. I find that I take the time estimate, the, how long I honestly think something is going to take, and then I multiply it by pi. And that generally turns into a more accurate estimate. It can help with procrastination or avoiding procrastination. I find sometimes there's a project that I've just been procrastinating on forever. In fact, one example is um, I'm helping this nonprofit redo their membership database. And I've been procrastinating and procrastinating. And I had this to-do list that every day I wouldn't even start. And I'd just move it to the next day's list. And it, it just said, you know, membership database. After realizing I pushed it for about a month, I just changed it to put all the data in one subdirectory because there was going to be a merger of a couple databases. And I said, let me just make sure I have all the data so that I could get started. And that did take me about an hour, but I felt like I had done something. The next day I could do the next step and the next day I could do the next step. It, it let me actually get the project done because I was no longer thinking about this one big scary project that I was able to break it down. When I do this at work, if I have a project that has five different parts, I'll put you know, parts A through E, Monday's to-do list, for the next five Mondays. I guess one thing I should explain or should have explained earlier is one of the principles of the cycle is instead of having one huge to-do list, have a different to-do list for each day of the year. So 365 to-do lists each year. Much easier to do in software than paper. So if you get to the end of the day and you haven't finished those items, you move them to the next day or you move them a, a week ahead. If something's low priority, maybe you don't move it to tomorrow's list, you move it to next Wednesday's list. So getting back to the, the large project system, if something has five parts, I'll put it on the next five to-do lists or the next Monday for each, for five Mondays in a row, each milestone. So that way I'm sort of giving myself one week to do each milestone. At one point in the book, you say that acknowledging the user's issue is as important as solving it. And why is this? People want to be acknowledged when they make a request. It's very comforting. We as system administrators don't go for psychology much, but the psychology of what we do is really important. So if a user sends email to help to create a ticket, but doesn't get any kind of auto reply saying, yes, we've received your ticket, here's the number, a user isn't sure if the ticket was lost or if it's being worked on. And they're going to be sort of stressed until they get some kind of reply. Now, if you reply five hours later and say, it's done, that person has been stressing out for five hours and probably thinking, you know, oh, these, these darn systems, they don't do anything. And then they get the surprise. Oh, they were working on it all along. Well, that's not good to have a user saying bad things about you for five hours. So if instead you reply right away saying, hey, I got your message. I'm working on it hopefully gives some kind of time estimate, you know, should be done by tomorrow. Then five hours later, you send an email saying, okay, it's complete. Now your user was only stressing out for those five or 10 minutes or even an hour before they got that initial reply. Just psychologically, that's gonna make them like you a lot more. If you don't do that and your coworker does do that, their perception is gonna be that your coworker is a better system administrator because they're keeping them up to date. They're keeping them informed about what's going on. Another claim that you have is that managing fulfilling expectations seems to create the feel of speed even if tasks take the same or I'd probably assume longer amount of time. So why is this? 
So fundamentally, people would rather have their expectation met than have every request done instantly. Well, probably they'd rather have every request done instantly. That's that's not you know humanly possible or physically possible. You know, if you ordered software that has to be delivered, even if it's FedEx overnight, they know that it's going to be overnight before they receive it. Again, it comes down to the psychology of handling a user request. Let me, let me tell you a little story. Back in the days when a console server was new, we, we'd set up a console server. So from my office, I could do everything on the console of a server remotely without having to run to the machine room. Now, if a server is down, and when a user runs into a systemman's office and says, oh my god, the system is down, what's their expectation? Their expectation is that the system administrator is going to stand up and run down the hallway to the machine room. So we had this console server, and I no longer needed to do that. So this user runs in and says, the server's down. you got to help us. And I said, OK. And I just you know, sort of turned my, my head to the right, you know, hit the right keyboard combination. And I was virtually in front of the server. And I was seeing that it was rebooting, and I'm you know, checking things out. And I'm, I'm working on bringing up the system. Well, from my vantage point, this looked like I was doing a good job as a system administrator. But from the user's point of view, they were expecting me to run down the hall. Instead, they, they can't, from their angle, they couldn't see what was on my monitor. So it looks to them like I've just decided to sit there and not do anything. Boy, did he get red in the face. You know, what are you doing? And I, I realized, oh, I wasn't meeting his expectation. So now, when this situation happens, instead, I say, hey, look, have I shown you this cool system we have? I can do everything I could do from the console right here. And I turn the monitor so that they can see. And I do the key combination. And it comes up. And I say, see, it's like we're on the console. And I, I can repair it. And they can see visually that I'm repairing it, which is matching their expectation. Now, in both of those situations, I was working just as hard and doing just as good a job repairing the server. But in the second one, I was meeting their expectations, and therefore, they were a happier customer. It's a funny little kind of psychological thing, but it really does make a difference. It is amazing how true that is. I mean, after I read that, I started paying more attention. And I, I know some people that they get complaints a lot, even though they do work hard and get a lot of work done. And, and when you look at it, they get complained about because people don't know what they're doing and don't know when it's going to get done. Like, I guess these last two questions are similar. The amazing new system administration tool that I've been using a lot lately is the telephone. You know, someone sends me an email saying, hey, could you work on this? I call them and say, hey, you know, I'm working on this, and I have a couple questions, and, and I answer it then, and I just get it done right then and there because I was able to reach them on the phone. Traditionally, I prided myself on being completely email-driven, and you know, I can do everything by email. A user sends me a request by email. They don't give me all the information I need to get my job done, so I send them email asking them a couple questions, they email back. It's amazing how different it is when you talk on the phone. They're more comfortable. They can answer questions better verbally than typing an answer, especially if someone is not very technical. It's much more comfortable to them to be able to say, well, it's the thingy on the left hand of the screen instead of writing email where they're essentially flashing back to their evil English teacher in high school who was correcting their grammar. And I'm going to swing it the opposite direction right now because mm -hmm. I remembered something that I wanted to ask at the beginning and forgot to. And that was one of the first tips that you say in the book was about creating a barrier between yourself and the users. And so this is exactly opposite of what we're talking about. And even 
walking 50 feet out from your office to see what it looks like going to you and see if and see if somebody else can answer their question on the way. So in the opposite of just right. managing expectations, also being able to manage your time and not be completely interrupt driven. The book begins, and I hope people don't feel insulted by this, but I say, you know, sysadmins get so many interruptions, I'm not sure you're going to get through this next chapter. So let's begin with a quick tip about dealing with interruptions, and it's called the Mutual Interruption Shield. That simply is you um, sort of conspire with a coworker. You make a deal. You say, look, in the morning, if the phone rings, if someone comes into our office, if, some, you know, if someone walks up, I will handle the interruption. I will shield you from interruptions, and you can get projects done in the morning. And then the afternoon will reverse. I will sort of hide and work on projects, and you handle all the interruptions. Obviously, if the machine room's on fire or if it's something that requires two people, you'll uh, come out from the shield. But if you do this, all of a sudden, instead of not being able to get projects done, you have a consistent half a day of project time every day. So I call this the mutual interruption shield. You know, if you can't get management approval to do this, you can do it unofficially or you can at least look at the layout of your work environment and make sure that if someone is walking up to you to interrupt you, that they have to pass by your coworkers in, in hopes that your coworkers will be interrupted instead of yourself. So one of the recommendations in the book is that you walk 50 feet away from your office and look at your office as a user would look and think, you know, what are they seeing here? Are they being directed to encourage interruptions or to discourage? Do you have a sign up that says, here's how you get help? Send email to blah, blah, blah. You know, that's going to deflect 20% of, of your interruptions. Or if you're constantly, you know, if you're not the person that deals with the VPN and people are constantly asking you VPN questions, you can put up a sign that says, who do I talk to about VPNs, Sally, you know, network issues, Bob, Unix issues, me, so that you eliminate the interrupts that are just people finding out who to interrupt. And obviously this kind of thing should be on a web page someplace, and if possible, people's your browser should default to have a, a start page that is the IT team's how do I get help web page. So there's a lot of little things and big things that you can do to, to help with interruptions. Since this is the Perlcast, I should say specifically about Perl, one of the best time management tips I can give is just to use Perl. When you use Perl, you're writing code about 10 times faster than, say, C++. That's just you know, fantastic in itself. Perl lets you, you know, automate system tasks like no other language before. So from that perspective, you get just a, a double bonus because you're writing you know, shorter programs that do more and you can automate system tasks easier than before. So you know, any task you can automate and therefore remove that task from your to-do list is, is just a, a huge, huge bonus. We mentioned earlier that email is not necessarily a time management tool, and actually it can very be a very big time waster tool. And I know I've read in Getting Things Done and I've read in your book that single-touch emails are the way to go. And I've tried that and I've failed. How do you make your email single touch? So this comes from an old old time management tip for dealing with paper mail, which is you know, touch every piece of paper mail once. When you go through your stack of mail, you know if it's junk mail, throw it out right then and there. If it's something that you need to read, read it. If it's something that needs a reply, just write the reply right on the letter and send that memo back to the person. In all of these cases, you're, you're touching each piece of paper once. Every time you say, well, this is interesting, I'll deal with that later, then you've used some amount of time, and then when that later comes, using 
more time because you probably have to reread it from scratch to get back up to speed. So now you're you're spending twice as much time on that item than if you had just done the required action while you're while it's fresh in your brain. So email can be similar. Um, I try to not read an email message unless I know I have time to deal with it right then and there. Oh, and to keep my email box clean, I realized that the strategy has to include the end of all of these techniques has to end with the email being deleted or filed away someplace or, or archived. For example, one thing that's helped me do this is Squirrel Mail, which is a great open source product. It's a web-based email system for reading off of an IMAP server. If I read an email message, first of all, I don't read it unless I have time. And then if I do read it, I then either have to delete it, reply and delete it, or file it, or, or act on it right then and there. And Often the action that I take, if it's a bigger project, is to write down in my to-do list what's being requested or forward the email into my ticketing system so that the, re the request gets recorded. But even in those two cases, the end result is I, I've archived the email, so it's out of my inbox. That lets me keep a very clean inbox, which surprisingly enough makes my email client run faster because <laughs> it's not trying to index my backlog of you know, 10,000 emails. So I can actually read email faster because my software is running faster. It, it does all come down to uh, trying to touch each each email once. Now, getting back to Squirrel Mail, uh, Squirrel Mail has delete and read next and a different button that just deletes the message and goes back to the index. So you know, if I have time or if, if this is my designated email reading time, which I try to read email a couple times a day instead of constantly just being interrupted by my you, know, you have new mail indicator. I click on the delete and view next button if I want to read that next one. Otherwise, I delete and you know, go to the index, and then I can look at the subject lines and make an, a prioritized choice of what am I going to read next. I also let other mechanisms read email for me. If you don't have a filter on your email, you're working too hard. So if you're using ProcMail or some kind of Cyrus-based you know, filtering system, just about every modern email reader has a filter. So you know, I have mailing lists, emails from mailing lists going to a folder called mailing lists that you know I might read only in my spare time. Or I'll have a couple, actually. I, I generally have sort of a, a trash mailing list folder for the, the interesting but not important mailing list I'm on, and then a more urgent folder. And then um, you know, there's certain things that you can just delete without reading. We as system administrators can make a big difference in other people's time management by making sure that the emails we send out to users have a good subject line so that from the subject line they can determine whether or not they need to spend time reading the message. I hate to see system administrators who send out every mass email they send is a message from the system administration department because that's not very effective. People are going to delete those emails without reading them. It's much more effective to put exactly what they need to know in the subject line. You know, printers in building three, outage Saturday. Now, if they're not in building three, they know they can delete the email. Or if they don't plan on working Saturday, they can delete without reading anything else. But if they are in building three and are planning on working on Saturday, then they know they can read the message and find out more. It seems like you had a very interesting filing system for your mailing list. Was it remove one every month or every week? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So, um... I used to be on, in fact, I still am on many, many mailing lists, and I decided I needed to go on a mailing list diet. So once a month, I picked the mailing list that I thought was the least important and would unsubscribe. And also, anytime I joined a new mailing list, 
I had to unsubscribe from an old mailing list. That was my mailing list diet, which really helped me reduce the amount of email I get. And what I found is that it wasn't so difficult. There's tons of email lists that I'm on that I realized I never actually read the messages. I see the subjects, I'm like, okay, yeah, another thing about that, yeah, yeah. And with the uh, ProcMail, putting you know, each mailing list in its own folder, I can tell that, you know, gosh, so I'm on this Java mailing list. And I realized, you know, I was on that just for, because I was sort of curious, but I don't use Java in my real life. But every, you know, once a week, I would look at that folder and sort of scan the subject lines and say, yep, not interesting again. Well, after three months of doing this, I realized it saved me a lot of time to just unsubscribe from that mailing list. And I'm sure everyone has a couple mailing lists like that, especially if you're a big Yahoo Groups user, because you just start searching and you find 50 mailing lists that all sound really good, all of a sudden you're, you're subscribed to 200 mailing lists and, and only actually reading the contents of a couple of them. I have a feeling I already know the answer to this based on a comment you made earlier, but instant messenger, blessing or curse? Oh boy, big question. You know, um, it's it's both. I mean, at my last job, we used Instant Messenger as a tool. We were, everyone in any kind of engineering position was just expected to have their Instant Message client running whenever they were working. We even had a coding system for the status message to indicate whether you're in the building or telecommuting and, and all this other stuff. But to get a project done, you really need focused effort and your concentration is focused effort. So you need to be able to have a, a, a social mechanism that lets you not get interrupted. So that's either your, your team agrees that when you're working on a hardcore project that you're allowed to shut your instant messenger off or at least set a, a status message that says something like project time and that means no one's supposed to reach you. Recently, a friend of mine had a, an away message that was, yes, I know it's down and I'm working on it. Thank you. <laughs> And I thought that was the perfect status message. You know, if you're required to have your IM up all the time, that's the kind of status message that'll prevent interruptions. But boy, when I need to get something done and don't have a lot of time, shutting down my instant message clients, my new email alert systems, and all those little flashy things that are on your screen just makes me twice as productive. Absolutely. I use Trillion a lot because it lets the windows pop up under other windows instead of over, so I can use them on my own time. So. One thing in the book that I picked up on was about creating good habits and doing things the same way time and time again. You always fill your gas tank on Sundays. You always put your keys in the same place. I never put my keys in the same place. Have you always been so methodical? If not, how did you make yourself that way? Oh, no, I haven't always been that way. In fact, I, I don't think I'm that way today. I'm only meth methodical in specific areas where I've identified problems. I, I like to think anytime I'm, I find myself apologizing for forgetting something or, or screwing something up, I think th this could be an area of improvement. So is there a habit I could develop or a routine I could develop? Sort of like my routine of before I lock my car, before I, I close my car door, I always... I know this sounds really anal retentive, but I close my car door with my left hand and with my right hand, well, I just squeeze my hand and make sure that I feel my car keys. Because if my car keys are in my hand, I know I'm not locking myself out of my car. It's a, it's a habit that has saved me a lot of problems. And it was only developed because I had a problem. I was you know, calling AAA a couple times a year. Anyway, there's tons of system administration things that are like that. I mean, the most obvious is making sure you have your card access key before you leave a computer room. But then there's other habits, like spending the first five minutes of everyday planning. Even if you don't do any other planning, 
throughout the rest of the day or completely ignore the cycle for the rest of the day. If you just spend those first five minutes, you're going to be ahead of the game because in those first five minutes, you'll at least pick the one or two things that are the most important and get started with those things. So at least there's one important thing you did every day instead of getting to the end of every day thinking, ah, you know, I, I've been pushing a boulder up the mountain all day, but I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. So, uh, you know, I, I should say my, my biggest qualification for writing a time management book is that I am a disorganized, badly managed, time managed kind of person. Um, but I just have developed these techniques and routines that when I stick with them, when I do have the discipline, I look like someone with good time management, but really I, I don't think of myself as someone with good time management. I just have all these coping mechanisms. Uh, now, maybe no one naturally has good time management skills and the people that do have good time management skills are just these people with these coping mechanisms and maybe there's, there's no real difference. I love the quote that good techies accidentally raise their hand and get moved into management. How do good techies accidentally raise their hands? Well, usually by being upset about something some problem and wanting to fix it. You know, suddenly they're managing a project and it's very typical that managers will confuse someone who's leading in the project management way and confuse that with people management. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're spending 40 hours a week writing evaluations and signing time cards. Or you've grown frustrated with how IT is done and you realize that, well, if I was manager, you know, if I was director of IT, I'd be able to correct all these large-scale problems that I've always wanted to correct. And suddenly you're, you're a manager and you're not, not doing as much technical work. You can manage your boss. That's a catchy phrase, but what does it really mean? Managing your boss is all about knowing when to use their authority and how to stay on your boss's good side without becoming a sycophant. I see a lot of people who are constantly asking their boss to do something like, you know, oh, could you talk to that person about this? Oh, could you you know, help me with something. And that's not always appropriate. And sometimes you see a manager sort of sigh and say, okay, the best time to use your boss is when their authority is required to get something done. So asking your boss to talk to somebody about something trivial, not such a good idea. But if it leverages their authority, you know, if it's this person needs to be told no, and I've told them no three times, having your boss tell them no is leveraging their authority. One tip you talk about also is paying someone else to do menial tasks around your house so as to free up more of your time. And this for me is very difficult to do, one, because it costs, and two, because having those tasks in my queue provides me a nice little way to escape and procrastinate for a while. Is some purely laborious work not good for everybody? This initially came out because I was, I was sharing a house with two mates and we hired someone to come every other week to clean, mostly to eliminate fights over whose turn it was to clean the bathroom. And it did eliminate those arguments. Where I live in New Jersey, it costs about $70 per visit for a cleaning person. And she cleans our bathrooms, vacuums the floors, dusts, uh, washes the kitchen floor, and maybe a couple other specific tasks. And doing this every other week isn't so bad when you split the cost between three people, which is a, a common situation when you're just out of college and uh, not to stereotype, but three freshly graduated college guys living in a house can smell like a locker room after a little while or look like a disaster area. And when you average it out, it's about 50 bucks a person per month, which is money. You know, it's, it's real money, but it has benefits. Most unintentionally is that you know, the day before the cleaning person comes, you run through the house and, and sort of pre-clean. 
and that helps me stop the accumulation of crap that's that's in my bedroom. You know, forces me to to deal with those issues because she doesn't you know clean up piles of you know clothes and stuff. You have to do that, or piles of papers and books and God knows what else. So it has that sort of unintended benefit. But also, if you think about when I do this manually, the, it usually takes up a Saturday a month or a Saturday every other month. And if I'm paying someone else to do it, then that frees up the Saturdays. So if I was going to spend $50 doing something social on a Saturday, if instead I'm paying someone you know, $50 to, to clean and that frees up my Saturday, well, I can either do something that's less expensive, like you know, have friends over and you know, watch TV or, or something. So what I'm saying is I can justify it as a, a way of having more of a social life, which is very important to me. And that does seem very important to you. And so we'll close here with this last question about the epilogue of your book. It seemed like very honest writing where you talk a little bit about ending work and having a social life and, you know, really living. And so do you live by those statements in your epilogue? I absolutely try to. If this book helps you find eight one-hour tips, you know, one, eight, eight tips that save you an hour each per week, that's eight hours a week saved. That's one work day per week. That's two and a half months or work months per year that you have that you didn't have before. Two and a half months. And that's, you know, great. And I hope I can help everyone do that. Think about you know, what am I going to do with all this additional time? And you decide, I'm going to use this time to work harder, get more done at work. That's great. But I'd like to propose that instead you split the difference. Sure, work hard, do a good job at work, but use that extra time that you've reclaimed to reclaim the 40-hour work week. I, I think that's the greatest thing that we could do as system administrators is to reclaim the 40-hour work week or maybe the 50-hour work week. Either way, we need to end the workaholic craziness of IT. And with that newfound time, spend it with your family. Uh, spend it with your loved ones. There are just too many kids today that grow up without spending any time with their parents. If you spend more time with your family, that makes your family's world a better place. And if you have time left over, what I encourage everyone to do in, in the epilogue is spend that extra time trying to make the world a better place by fighting for social justice, or running for political office. You know, you can be on your local school board with just a three or four hour commitment per month. And that's not a lot. And I don't know, where I went to high school, there was all this emphasis on the football team and not much on the, the chess team. I think if more system administrators were on school boards, math and science would get much more attention, much more needed attention than it currently gets. Give your employer a solid 40 hours. They deserve it. They're paying you. but. Give the rest of your time to your family and make your world a better place. And and that's what I hope to uh, inspire in all the readers of the book. Thank you very much. That was a very good interview. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, be on Pearlcast. And I very much enjoyed your book and hope some other people go out and get it. It was a good book. Any final words? I just want to thank you for inviting me, Josh. I had a great time and I love your podcast. All right. It was a blast. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks again to Tom for taking the time to be interviewed on Pearlcast, and as always, thank you for listening. The GarageBand.com track featured on this podcast was Three Pound Universe performing Waiting for the Fall.